0: This is The Starcoat Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 361.
1: One of the generals that I interviewed, and by the way, the military were particularly good at this whole thing, mm-hmm. said to me, Stephen, the basis of all leadership is curiosity. The basis of all good leadership is curiosity, because think about it, if I'm curious about what's going on around me, about what you're telling me, I am not going to have time or room to be defensive about my own stance, if you like, my own, my own opinions. I'm going to want to know what you're telling me and how does it fit in to what I need to do.
0: Hello, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. We have a show today that leans into the whole concept of leadership. So here at the Star Coach Show, we are going to focus on one of three categories. We usually are focused on either how you can be a better coach partner and the skill element that goes into coaching, or how are you going to build your business? And bring your work into the world with a thriving business because if you can't make a living as a coach, you're going to be doing something else and the world needs your coaching. And then the third element is all around leaders, how we can use coaching skills to be better leaders, how we can change organizations with coaching, how we learn different things about what makes successful leaders. We want to bring that forward because We all have the opportunity to be a leader somewhere in our life, and when we can learn about exemplary leadership and what those who have walked ahead of us leave for us to understand the the breadcrumbs that they leave, the path that they have forged for us, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can move forward like that. So that's what my guest today is bringing forward. We're going to be talking about leadership. We're going to be talking about what Dr. Stephen Barden's many years of research taught him about what helps leaders recover, regenerate, create the kinds of collaborative and successful environment that we all benefit from, or what actually throws up flags throws up barriers, and and keeps those leaders from thriving. He learned that much of that has to do with what happened when they were children, which is why today's episode is titled, When Leaders Were Children. Now, we dive into that a little bit. We dive into a lot. We're going to look at how leaders can really work to change cultures, how coaches can work with those leaders to do so, what Stephen does when he works with his client to help bring forward the organizational goals, the client's goals. And we're going to talk about his book and the research that he's put into his book that helped him better understand that we begin our development as a leader in our childhood. Now, I am absolutely delighted to introduce you to him because He is an esteemed strategic business and operational partner to corporate leaders and organizations. And Stephen works globally. He has decades of experience, first as a CEO and then at different executive board levels across media, technology, and communication sectors. And he has been in a thriving private practice since 2001. So Several, a couple decades under his belt as a coach working in the UK, Europe, USA, Asia, so globally. He's grounded in pragmatic wisdom and holistic strategy. His approach is to help his clients achieve strategic zenith while maintaining ethical integrity. So at an individual level, he really empowers the leaders and the managers that he works with to wield their authority effectively. And much of that has to do with him being able to help them understand how to do that from the research and the energy that he put into his understanding of leadership. And he put that all in his book, How Successful Leaders Do Business With Their World. It's really a testament to his passion for Fostering the Partnerships Between Leaders and Stakeholders. And he talks about, made me smile from ear to ear, the concept of partnership and how to really be a partner with your client, how he is a partner and how he encourages his leaders to partner with their people. So he is dynamic. He's a lot of fun. He shares his energy and his passion in this interview. There's no doubt you're going to feel that. And I just encourage you to sit back and enjoy this conversation. And then I'm willing to bet it's going to whet your appetite for more information. So grab a copy of his book, because it was really enthralling to read and and opened up my perspective about leaders and where their leadership tendencies start. And they start as children. So let's go to my interview with Dr.
2: Stephen. Barden. Dr. Stephen Barden, welcome to the StarCoat
1: show. Thank you, Mick. Thank you very much.
2: I have been looking forward to visiting with you. You are currently in Germany. I'm sitting in my office in, in Texas, and yet with the magic of technology, we are going to have this beautiful conversation about your book. And about the research that you've done. Now, something I didn't share with you in our pre-interview is that I'm a research junkie. I love it when people get in there and they research and they learn about all the things, the, the thing beneath the thing, because they're taking time to look at the patterns and look at the threads that pull through. And you've done that about successful leaders and wrote a book, How Successful Leaders Do Business With Their World. And then your subtitle is The Navigational Stance. And we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about what you learned about successful leaders. With my background as a therapist and a social worker, I love that what you've discovered it has to do with, with how we navigated things even as children or the messages that we learned. And I have seen that consistently in the work that I have done. So I just was like, oh, let's talk about this and let's bring it forward. So. When we start with this concept of what you've learned about really successful leaders, there's lots of directions we could start in. This is your research. This is your baby. So, where would you like to begin this discussion today?
1: Well, you know, just to show you that I'm about about as a a junkie, a research junkie as you are. When I started off this research, when I was I'd been a CEO for many years, and then I moved into into coaching. and And after about ten years of of coaching and mentoring and, and and doing the consultation, I thought to myself, one of the things I really want to know is why certain leaders act in a certain way and others don't. In other words, why why do certain leaders? You know, you've seen them all. We, you know, some some would will go in and quite happily represent their shareholders and take the L tip and do all that. And they're quite happy to do that. Others make life difficult for themselves and they say, no, no, I'm the CEO of the company. I am the CEO of the company. I'm the president of the university. I will look after this company. So why do they do that? Who does that? So I thought, how do I distill that? And I went in and I thought, I'm going to do a, a, a doctoral thesis on this. And I'm going to do the research. And the first time I started the research, I thought, what I want to try and find out is how leaders learn. Because I thought it all happened while they were, you know, on the ladder. They learned to take certain decisions on, on, on the ladder. So what I did was I... I interviewed with a huge amount of data, I mean, really huge, and I went down so many rabbit holes, you've no idea, a whole burrow of rabbit holes, but I interviewed uh, for hours and hours over four years, top military generals, there was a a sample of top military generals, two, three, four-star generals. I interviewed uh, academic presidents, academic principals, vice, cha- vice chancellors in in the U.S. and in and in Europe and in, and in Britain. And I then here's a, just a little sideline going down one little rabbit hole. I thought, what I'll do is I'll also interview some top politicians. I had some, and there had to be everybody had to have positions of authority, right? Mm-hmm. So I contacted the I contacted the the academics, and they said. Yep. We're on.
0: Reason, I contacted,
1: sorry, yeah. uh, Absolutely. They're on. I contacted the, the military leaders. They said, absolutely. I also contacted CEOs and they said, absolutely. And then I said, so I contacted the, the, the politicians and it wasn't as if I went in cold, by the way, I had there were people who were known to me. There were right. people I was introduced, and they said, "This is Barden is not a bad person. He's a good person. It's going to be all anonymous. You know, nobody's right. going this to is, be able to." This is for the back
2: good back of you, the world and for the good of the research world, research and helping us understand and
1: Precis, what happened. Guess what the reaction was? No, thank you. Nothing.
2: Not it even wasn't. a no, thank you. You just got crickets.
1: No, nothing, nothing. It was there was crickets. I said, you know, as I said. I didn't get a cold, I didn't get a cold shoulder, I didn't get any shoulder, nothing.
2: Nothing, amazing.
1: And and what I realized is exactly how vulnerable leaders feel themselves politicians feel themselves to be they, they, they do they get terribly and they close in of course that's a great danger anyway so i went ahead with my my military leaders my academic leaders and my corporate ceos and they were based in, in, throughout the world and i started asking them tell me something about how, what was it like what was your learning under fire if you like what did you learn how did you experience etc and they kept on telling me about their childhood they kept on saying when I was a child, so-and-so happens. When I was a child, I used to do this. And, it, it, and they linked what was going on and it, now with what the, the childhood was. And I realized that this was really quite rich. I don't know if you have the same thing when you do the research. When research is not working, it feels thin. It feels right. sort of, it doesn't, it, does, mm-hmm. it feels two-dimensional. And this was really starting to feel really rich. And I said, okay, so let's explore that. And what I discovered, and these were, by the way, objectively successful leaders, they had, and I define success in the book as being able to bring your entire organization forward, not mm-hmm. you know, not partially, the whole thing goes forward. And what I discovered from them was that as they were children, they explored, they, they were exploring their world you know, their family, their environment, their friends, their brethren, etc. As they were exploring to see what they could do, what they could and could not do, they, come, they came up with some progressive assumptions, if you like.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And those assumptions were starting you know, to talk about what the world would let them do, where they would find opposition, where the world was going to be hostile, where the world... So it became, they started to understand, if you like, their relationship with their world. Mm-hmm. And it was in two in two basic important things. One was the relationship, as in goodwill and badwill with the world, trust and not trust. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was it was. Uh, I use the, the the thought that comes into my head when I say that it was Einstein said. You know, the most important thing is is the universe friendly? And they they you know did they think that their universe was friendly or or was it to be not to be trusted? And the other one was power. How much? So they came away with, a, with an assumption, that were, which they built up and built up, with an assumption about the, the relative balance of power between themselves and their world. And if you take an axis, at the extreme of those would be somebody who came away with the assumption that their power balance was so off kilter that the world would just you know roll over them roll over right. them that's an extreme mm-hmm. and that's with, you know that's with abused children that's with children who really have had or or, or such overprotected, oversmothered over smothered children that they right. cannot cannot explore and the other ones were of course you know another extreme and i've i don't think i've ever met anybody like this one which says the world is a piece of cake i'll just do what i like with it you know chain it up i can do what i like with it
2: well now, i do you know, speak, going back to politicians, there are some that act that way, but there anyway, are.
1: you know, there and are. then
2: and then on the other hand, that that concept of fear-based that kept all the politicians from kind of stepping into that. I think that's interesting too. I'll that's let go of the politicians now, but I just think based upon yeah. what you just said, interesting yeah. how that's sort of represented through that.
1: You're absolutely right. There's there's a huge amount of huge amount of fear. Yeah. So the sweet spot. And where a lot of these leaders that I interview was right in the middle. And they basically said, look, we have, you know, their, their supposition said, look, the world and I are in a reasonable balance and I can do business with that world. And that hence the title of the book, I can do business. It wasn't actually right. I can sit down and trade with it. Right. I can do business. With. I, can I can do business. Do. I can
2: get my needs met. I can do other yeah. things. I can. Yeah. I can navigate this. Another yeah. part of your title, yes.
1: Quite right. That's exactly what it's all about. And that sweet spot, if you like, the whole the whole axis, I call the navigational stance. Which how do you navigate in your world? Mm-hmm. the the opposite the 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 sweet spot I called the partnering stance because that basically says the world and I are in partnership. So my, my most valuable resource, my most valuable access to information, my most valuable way of moving is the world, is my world. So I will partner with it. That's what I'm going to do. The people on the, on, away from that have greater or lesser degrees of opposition. And so mm-hmm. I called it very unoriginally the oppositional stance, see, which is basically. So, you, you know,
2: sometimes those, straightforward is the best way, Stephen. We don't is. need to get all creative and loose people along the way. Like, what does that mean? The oppositional stance makes yeah. perfect
1: sense. Yeah. And those people, to be, you'd be so, so not surprised to hear, compete against the world. Mm-hmm. They feel they have to compete in some way against the world. So they compete. And the trouble is, they don't just compete against. That the world on the outside, they will probably be competing against their family. They will be competing against their own people in their own business. The partnering ones don't. Mm-hmm. The reason they don't is because it's a waste of energy as far as they're concerned. It's a complete waste of time. So you'll find that these, the ones in the, in in this partnering stance, had some quite surprising characteristics. One of them is mm-hmm. they don't have very big egos.
2: Yeah, I thought that was really interesting as I read. And and it did make sense. I think even as you laid it out in the book, you said, you know, really successful leaders don't have huge egos. Yeah. And you shouldn't be surprised by that or
1: whatever. I don't know
2: exactly yeah. what you said, but yeah. that, that might not be surprising.
1: Because there's very little to defend, you see. They don't have to, they, they don't, they're not, com- and they never compete, they don't compete. Mm -hmm. They don't compete against you. They might roll over you. They might might completely, you know, just push you aside, but they're not going to compete against you. And I've seen that in a number of very powerful leaders, you know, people with authority and and Mm -hmm. who have this navigational stance. They will just, you know, if if you're in their way and there's no alternative, they they will roll over you. However, their preference is always to work with you. They will do that they will work with you so there are a number of things that they do they you know if you're a partner to your world and you realize that your world is your most important asset Mm -hmm. you will use that world you will work with that world as soon as as much as possible you will also know that you can't use and abuse that world because if you use and abuse that world you're actually going to get something you're going to get used and abused back so you don't you keep Mm -hmm. that that balanced relationship all the time. They are incredibly alert to what's going on. And the thing that I keep on talking about is they have this thing of text and context. So in other words, they don't see their, they're enormously strategic. So they don't see their organization, their university, their whatever, their institution, they don't see it in isolation. They will always see it in, it, it, like like an ecosystem, like a mosaic. Right. So they will they will say, okay, mm-hmm. so if I do that, what impact will that have? If I do this, what impact will that have? And they will so those are the ones who are massively alert to, you know, if their suppliers are in, you know, in Bangladesh or in um in in, in Florida, and they will want to see what's going on in, in that that factory, because mm-hmm. it might affect them. It might impact them. So they're massively alert in this. They do what I – they have an extra, extraordinary sense of reality. And one of the, the key phrases that I always use is that they have – I talk about respect. Now, I don't talk about respect in the, in the normal sense. I tracked it back to what it actually originally meant in, in, in Latin, which is respectare, which means look again. Uh-huh. So somebody says to you something and you go – and, it, you know, it, it, at first glance it sounds like complete nonsense – they say their brain goes, no, no, look again. Look again. What's it, what's it saying? What's he saying? What's she saying? Why is it saying this? So that you they they have this, this ability to be able to. It's 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 ingrained. Look again. Think about it again. There's a, there's a whole lot of characteristics coming out of this research. Mm-hmm. We discovered that there were some. Now it's not trays. It's not it's not the, the the mythical leader with with the gift that you know of of of, of trays and characteristics. They have certain assumptions, mm-hmm. uh, and and some of those assumptions I think I, I talk about I do talk about in the book. And it's you know they have pragmatism they they make sure that they're challenged they're critiqued all the time so they set up and reward people almost for challenging them to so that they their brains can be can be questioned because the idea is is that if you don't challenge my idea or my thought in this room Mm -hmm. the market will Somebody outside. If there's a flaw in it, I want it to be discovered here. I don't want to be discovered there. So, you know, and they're immensely alert to things like, like uh, the moods of their, of their people. Now, not because they want to go, they're they're all nurturing necessarily, but because they think just aware.
2: Yeah. 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 Because they I mean, need to be able to read the room. And how many times have we worked with leaders who can't read the room, can't read, and then that's part of the reason why they struggle. Yeah. Um, exactly your right. whole your whole concept about respect. And by the way, here on the Starcoat show, you are getting Latin lessons as well. Only here on the Starcoat show yeah. is that whole concept of curiosity. And you lean into that pretty heavily in the book as well. Like, yeah. you know, if look again is staying curious looking at what can i learn from this and um so much of what we do as coaches is to lean into that place of curiosity encourage our i'm consistently encouraging my leaders that i work with to lean into their curiosity to learn from their people rather than feeling like they're the only ones with the answers wow. and it sounds like your research kind of brought that same element up how can i be Curious and learn lean into learning while I am also
1: bringing my best forward. One of the generals that I interviewed, and by the way, the military were particularly good at this whole thing mm-hmm. said to me, Stephen, the basis of all leadership is curiosity. The basis of all good leadership is curiosity, because think about it. If I'm curious about what's going on around me, about what you're telling me, I am not going to have time or room to be defensive about my own stance if you like my own my own opinions. I'm going to want to know what you're telling me and how does it fit in to what I need to do. And they do they 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 are immensely curious about what goes on around them in the world. And they they do you know we talked earlier on we, we before before we started recording about the duty I think of mentors and it's the same thing with leaders, of being able to disrupt, of being able to say, you know, why did not you turn what you just said on its head? Right. Tell me what that feels like. You know, what do you mean by this? Let's go and find out a little more about that. So they, they do. One of the things that, you know, that I have as a, as a critique about, for example, the coaching profession is that we tend not to, not we the profession is not known for its curious research until we get into the, the 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 stage of yes we do lots of you know cpd and lots of lots of uh, development but the actual research that says let me just stand this on its head let me disrupt it and look at it a different way and i think when leaders are in an organisations and they are they are there and this is more prevalent i think when they are trying to get returns to their shareholders their maximum returns mm-hmm. to their shareholders they become very tunnel visioned and anything becomes anything else becomes a distraction and sure as nuts curiosity is going to become a distraction
2: right right
0: we'll be back to my interview right after this brief message i love providing the star coach show as a weekly resource for coaches to strengthen skills, to build businesses, to change the cultures and organizations. And I'm willing to bet that as you're consuming this content, many of you might be thinking, I'd like to take this even deeper. I'd like to be able to ask questions of some of those great guests that are on the Star quote show. I feel isolated trying to make this all happen by myself. Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to be in a community with like-minded coaches on similar paths and have access to Meg and her advice, her coaching, the experts that are on the show, and all the other people in the community. That is the whole reason why I established the Star Coach community. And I will tell you that there is, no better way to get my mentoring, my advice, and being able to get in front of these experts at a lower price. There is no more cost-effective way to do that. So I invite you to explore all that you can get access to at starcoatshow.com community, starcoatshow.com community you will get a sneak peek at the many, many resources that are available within the community. Resources that very truthfully, I've been told again and again by marketing experts, by other coaches, and by members of the community that it is priced too low for all that people get. But I got to tell you, there is a reason why I do it and it's to help me thrive. So if you've yet to take time to look at what's available in the Star Coach community, I invite you to starcoachshow.com slash community. Check out what's available in the community, and we invite you to join us. We have a fabulous time. We get things done and move coaches towards success, and we invite you to be a part of it. So now let's go back to the show.
2: As as it we're taking all this in, you are uh, you coach leaders. You work with leaders as well. So how do you take all this information that you've gained and shared, and this understanding that you have now, and help it inform
1: your coaching when you work with leaders? The 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 process I, I have is to when I'm when I'm in, when I first start with a leader. Or a team, but when Mm -hmm. I first start coaching a leader, I will interview them much the same as I interviewed my original leaders Mm -hmm. for about three to four hours.
2: So you start an engagement with it, we're going to have a three to four hour interview, and I'm going to and are, is there a specific focus that you have in that interview
1: we start right when they first can remember and even if they can't remember it's what they think they can remember so we start we actually go back to the childhood and what i do is then we 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 go through that and i accumulate all this data and the, then I come away with uh, the data and then uh, return to them two two weeks later and say, from what we've discovered, from what you've told me, not what I've told you, from what you've right. told me, this is your stance and this is the way you operate with the world. This is your power relationship with the world. You have some sort of oppositional stance here. And now, of course, now you're, you're operating in this context, right? You're operating in this organization and in this institution. That stance is going to be affecting you in X, Y, Z ways. Can you tell me if that resonates with you? And they go, yes, no, you're a complete idiot. Please go away. It's I don't. A, think that
2: usually happens. <laughs> they,
1: they, they, the resonance is massive because they know. Right. They, have, they have told me. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's that that wonderful um, type of research which which I which I use quite a lot. Which is, you know, I will only. It's grounded theory. I I will only use the data that you give me. And right. then I will interpret it, but I won't bring anything else in. And so it. And resonates. then you
2: present it and say, "How does this land on you? What are your that's thoughts a, about this?" That's exactly. And right. I'm willing to bet that there are times that you get some pushback, and then the person's like, "You know, I've thought about it, and it really does sit." Yeah. Or because sometimes things take a little bit for their seeds to to really yeah. begin to sprout yeah. and
1: and take root. Yeah. And the anxiety comes in. They think, "Oh, right? Do I? Really are I'm you judging like me?" Like, yeah. 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 Absolutely. And then once we've got that, then now we've got you know now we've got. A, a an outcome if you, if you like what do you what outcome do we want in this organization here i am waving my hands doing it's all this.
2: good yeah i do yeah <laughs> we're, we're we're here just taking off to flight together with all of our hands this is open. entirely yeah.
1: true so if the outcome is here you know on my right hand sticking up like this then you know and this is where this is the 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 behaviors that you have at the moment Right, what do we need to change to get you to the outcome? What is hindering you? What is helping? And there's stuff that, you know, there's going, it's stuff that's, of course, accelerating them. There's stuff that's that's helping them, et cetera. And I keep on saying to them, you know, yes, these are powerful assumptions that were there right from childhood, but you know, they were learned assumptions. They're not genetic, they're learned. So you can relearn, you can unlearn them. So it's, it's very much a case of getting them to, to start to see what those assumptions are, how it affects their lives and how it affects their work. Let's change them so I get them to try out new ways of doing things in bite-sized chunks. It's very similar to any coaching process then. Right. And then of, course, then, of course, because they're deep-seated, you need to keep doing it and doing it and right. doing it and do it again. So you change all those, those tracks that, they, they, that are so deeply embedded. And yeah and and sometimes they they see it and the, the the good thing about it is that it resonates when it resonates it resonates so deeply that they do really want to change it. they do really want to change sometimes it's massively difficult and of course they go when in a, in a crisis they'll revert but they do really want to change
2: okay. so in in many ways if we sort of hold up what you do in your first session it's it's in a way kind of giving an assessment through an interview that you're taking in that information and then you're providing data back and what does that do that raises awareness that that mm-hmm. begins the conversation it gets us to look at ourselves through a different lens than maybe we were looking through before then just opens that discussion opens the journey as the leaders that you work with begin to Use that information to open their aperture and look at things differently. What kinds of results are you seeing with the leaders that you work with?
1: When it works, and, it, and, and remember, I'm working with leaders. So what I wanted to do is to to impactful. to work through the entire organization. What what we're aiming for is a partnering form of leadership, so that don't waste your time and exclude. You know the people around you, bring the best and the brightest around you. make sure that you're listening to what they're saying. like make sure that you are working as a team. So I'm basically saying don't be the leader from the front. I Hate that leading from the front. It's such a waste of time. It's also quite risky because if you're the leader from the front, and you look behind. You keep on looking behind as your leader. You're going to fall over. Yeah, so, exactly. So you know, lead from the middle. Make sure that you are the you are actually acting as a managing partner as the CEO and the you know. And then you have partners around you. So make sure that you are working together. Maximize all that that resource. And what we we've, we've done in a number of organizations is is cascaded that down. So it goes the leader and their exec group and then their direct reports and it carries on down into the interview. And that takes takes a number of forms. I mean, for example, with a number of organizations where they've asked me to look at their culture and to change, if you like, the culture. We start off with the leadership. I then create what I call a series of commitments, not values, but commitments. It is these commitments to behave in certain ways, and you link them directly to the strategy. You're basically saying, because there's another premise that I have, that unless the, your behaviors and values and assumptions are linked directly to your strategy, one of them is going to go. One of them is going to fail. It, it, I use the quite facetious example of if you are training a company of sharpshooters or snipers, you're not going to be teaching them to be kind and compassionate and team players, are you? if you're going to do, doing the same thing for for a a group of of monks and or or nuns then different but the strategy what yes. where do you want this organization to go and what behaviors you want within that organization need to be directly interlinked so we've done that quite a lot and and a number of organizations we found will continue to do that and they have changed culture the danger always is, and I'm sure you found that in organizations as well, is that the leaders and the leadership get, get tired mm. because this is, this is, you know, you need to be constantly alert. Right. If you're going to be a good leader. You need to be constantly alert. You need to continue doing this. You need to be self-aware, but self-aware in the world. Your self-aware is, is, is an isolated thing, you know, I'm, right. I'm not going to self, what's the point of being self-aware unless I know in what context. It's self-aware in the world. You need to be absolutely self-aware in the world, absolutely. But at the same time, you need to be aware of everything that goes around you. And they get tired. They well, get tired.
2: It's constant vigilance, right? I can't even say the word vigilance. And when you're in that place, it is. So what do you recommend for pe- for that burnout or that tired or that? How can leaders be aware and responsive to their own needs and well-being as they are trying to bring the whole organization forward
1: together? I think that it, it if you follow the model correctly, if people follow the model correctly, If I am going to be a partner, then I will expect my partners to help me be self aware and I will be, I will be, I will do the same for them. I will make sure that they are vigilant and they are alert so that when I get tired, they can actually, they carry on the mission. They carry on the mission and, you know, on my downtime because. If they don't, if the leader goes mm-hmm. back into isolation and does this, and, and we do, uh, it, let me finish that thought, if a leader finish, it, it does that, they're going to end up tired because they're going to end up isolated and they're going to end up just shriveling the whole thing to to their, the size of their heads. But I think we do as a society, and I think this is this is still very prevalent, we do expect the leader to deliver and to only deliver in many ways. We we, of course we get terribly cross when they when they do when they do bad things because it it hurts our reputation as as Mm -hmm. shareholders or as but actually there's very little encouragement on on managing this entire organization and making sure that we're balancing the interests of everybody in a reasonable way. So when you're 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 running a company don't just run it for the shareholders, do run it for your people, do run it for your for your customers, but also do run it for your suppliers. Do make sure that your suppliers are involved and your and and their suppliers suppliers are involved. It's, it's creating this community I think around organizations which makes is it good for business? It's very good for business. It's very good for business. And we still haven't got that, I think. We still haven't. Maybe it's because you know the, the market becomes such a dominant thing that we forget that we need to be able to create communities in in, in organizations, whether they are we do it anyway in universities with alumni, and we, we do it in, in in the military with the veterans, but in in corporate life, mm, not so much.
2: So oh, interesting, such and I love you know the words that just keep coming up through what you've learned and what you're presenting are you know, balance, learning, curiosity, wholeness, sort of this this 10 story global view um, of togetherness and collaboration and and is it easy? No. and yet, I want everyone to be aware of because we didn't have time to dive into it as much as I would have liked, but if you're if you're at all confused about what Stephen means about how the childhood has impacted the the world stance and the par- world partnership as an adult, he has beautiful examples through his books about what different people's childhood taught them in really clear, vibrant ways. So um, I strongly recommend you pick up a copy of his book and read that. And as a funny, um, his very first example in the book is about a gentleman, but I had picked it up and was reading it quickly, and I thought it was Stephen's childhood that I was reading about, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's gone through all of this in his life. I realized that, oh, this is somebody he interviewed for the
0: book.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I remember you saying that to (laughs) me. No, no, it's not. No, that was an
2: example. So, um, what, as we wrap up our time together, anything that is left that you just really want to be sure that you're able to share with our listeners about this concept, about how they can potentially learn and grow from it, or whatever you, if, if there's anything left, I'm going to be quiet now.
1: I think the one I keep on wanting to emphasize is this. Partnering idea—you become a partner leader. I—I I have, in fact, quite recently stopped calling myself a coach. Funnily enough, and and I've, I've I, I, what I do is I say I'm a partner to my clients. I'm a partner. I love me. that. And and I think become a partnering leader because it enables you to use all the resources at hand, but it also. Gives you the support that you need. It removes that anxiety which leaders have, which is, oh my God, I'm going to have to deal with this on my own. I'm going to be judged by this on my own. Partner, use your partners. And your partners, you can find them anywhere, you know, within your organization, in your family, but use them. And in fact, frankly, partner in your families, I think, partner with your children. Because yes, that partnering thing is is really important to me and it becomes, and, and the more I work in this business, the more I just keep on emphasizing it. And I've seen clients fall asleep when I keep on saying it, just partner, partner with the people around you.
2: Thank you for that. And thank you for your time and the the energy and time you put into this research, because it's something we all need to be aware of, fills out, like you even say, you know, there's what, a bazillion and a half books on leadership. And 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 this is a piece that I don't think is, is touched on very much at all and was very much needed in the scheme of things. So thank you for bringing that forward.
1: You're very kind. Thank you so much. That was very good. I enjoyed it very much.
2: So there we go!
0: Another great interview with a guest that just brought and brought and brought his experience and challenged us hopefully to think about how are we partnering with our clients and how are we encouraging our clients to be partners to their teams, to their organizations, and to better understand, open their insight and awareness about where their learning about leadership pain and how they can continue to grow and strengthen it. My conversation with Dr. Burton continues in the Star Coach community. If you'd like to know more about the Star Coach community, get a sneak peek to what is behind the paywall that I've brought out from behind the paywall and put on starcoachshow.com community. That's starcoachshow.com community. Get a peek at the experts that come in and engage directly with the community. The kinds of pearls of wisdom that are in the library that has hundreds of examples to help you grow in your skills, in your business in the way that you're engaging as a coach. And hear what other members of the community are saying. All of that and more is at starpointshow.com community. Would love to have you join us. Now, next week, I am excited to introduce you to Nikki Nash. Nikki is a marketing expert, and we're going to be talking about how to build a rock Star marketing team. Even if you're not in a place where you're hiring dozens of people to be on your team, that you want to be able to increase your marketing with people who can really help you thrive and grow. That's what we're talking about next week with Nikki Nair. So until next week, this is Meg Frenchler, thanking you for your time and your energy for being here with us and inviting you back next week as we explore our business aspect through marketing with Nikki Nash. If you're enjoying the show, please follow us wherever you're listening. We would love to be able to let you know of every new show that comes out. And when you like and rate the show, more people find us. So we'd love to have you follow us. And until next week, this is Meg Ranchler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a great one.